Well, good morning again. If you have a copy of God's Word, I hope you do. Go ahead and make your way to John chapter 12. It's our uh, third week in John chapter 12, but we're going to get to finish it today. And if you are a guest or visitor here with us today, thank you so much uh, for worshiping Christ with us. And as we open up His Word today, um, what we see on the title screen, Believe and Live, is what I hope and I pray happens in our hearts and our minds this week, that we would believe deeply in Jesus and in believing in Him, that we'd find the abundant life that He has promised us. All right, this passage that we're going to look at today, starting in verse 27, is actually going to finish off the chapter. It's going to take us all the way through verse 50, and that is a lot of verses, all right? So um, what I want to do as we start to kind of get our minds wrapped around what we're going to talk about in this passage today is to help us understand a little bit about glory. Glory. We're going to see multiple times as I read this passage that Jesus is going to talk about glory. John's going to highlight the glory that he saw and the glory that Isaiah saw and uh, and, and somehow that some people are choosing the glory of man more than the glory of God. And so glory is seen all throughout this chapter. And what we find, Jesus is really clear, really clear. In verse 28, he says, Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name. And God the Father responds and says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it. And this is an important part of this passage But we know that this is a very, very important part for our church. We exist to glorify God by making more and better disciples from neighborhoods to nations. And we cannot cut out that first part of glorifying God because that's what it's centered on. That's the foundation is that we would look to glorify God in everything that we do. Now, some of you may hear this and be like, well, that's great, good theological terms of Glorify God, that's fantastic, but I, I, I don't see any relevance in my life when we talk about that. I mean, have you ever heard somebody say that? Like, man, just glorify God with all of your life, and you're like, I, I don't really see what the point and purpose of glory is or why that really matters that much. Well, let me make just two cases real quick on glory as we lead up to reading this passage. First, it's extremely, extremely practical for you and I to understand glory rightly. In the Bible, when it talks about glory, as well as even in the English language, glory has a sense of weight and significance and value. See, when, when, when glory started first being used, they would talk about it like, this is something that weighs a lot, whether that's jewels or gold or something. So that has weight, it has value, it has beauty, and that's what it is. And as time went on and and glory continued to be used, it gave a greater sense of not just a weightiness, though that still was kept, but with that weightiness, there was a sense of significance that was attached to it. And so when we talk about glorying in something, we're talking about we look at it and we see it as significant, as important, as weighty in our lives. Now, rightly understanding glory and where we should pursue it and where it comes from is so important because there's a lot of confusion with this. We look at our, our, our culture right now and, and corporately, there's a struggle in understanding where we pursue glory, where we pursue glory. So when we talk about the weightiness of it versus a flightiness of it, let me try to explain it in, in an illustration. I grew up, and in my neighborhood there was this creek. It's actually Reedy Creek. And me and the friends in the neighborhood, we would go and we would go to the creek. We'd find big, giant rocks, and we'd take these rocks and we'd put them in the water. And we'd watch as the water 
that flowed down would move around the rocks. Why? Because the rock has weight. The rock has significance. The rock is placed there, and literally the, the water is being formed around the rock that is placed there. So we would build little bridges like you see here, or what we would do is we would take sticks and we'd kind of throw them into the water and watch them as they would go down that creek. Now, what's the difference between the rock and the stick? Like, why didn't the rock get up and float? Because there was a, a weight to it. Whereas a stick would just float and go along the way in the water because there wasn't a weight to it like there was a rock. Now, when we talk about glory, we're talking about something that has weight that cannot be moved by culture, that cannot be moved by our feelings or our thoughts, something that is there and is significant. So when we start to consider corporately as a culture, the question that we have to ask when it comes to glory is, what are the things that are most important to us as a culture? What are the things that we value, the things that really matter most to us? The things that we would look at and say, this carries the most weight in our world or culture. What are the things that we're supposed to work for? What are the things we're supposed to stand up for? What are the things we're supposed to sacrifice for? Because they're weightier and more important than our own personal comfort. What are those things corporately? You see, if you look throughout history and time, when people would come with those questions of, what is this all about? What are we supposed to work for? What are we supposed to sacrifice for? What are we supposed to see as ultimate importance? Throughout history, people would look and say, you've got to go to God to find answers to those questions. God's the only one that's a truly glorious one that's not moved by anything else. And so if you're trying to figure out what you're supposed to live for, then you've got to go to the one who has the ultimate weight, the ultimate glory. Now what's sad is we... We have a society now that's moving further and further away from God, and we say, we don't need God to build a good society. We don't know if there's a God or not, but it doesn't really matter, so we can all together just decide what is most valuable and and what weighs the most and what is the most glorious. We can come to a consensus in this. But you can see what's happened. You can see what's happened. There's a lot of confusion that's come because of this. We're really struggling to find out, well, what is the most important? How does human have dignity? Why should we be honest people? Why should we live in a certain way? You see, as we continue to move God, the truly glorious, weighty one, out, we continue to find more and more confusion. So glory matters. It matters on a corporate level, for sure a collective level, because we need the one that we look to that is the rock that's not moved by time nor our feelings or thoughts. But it also is important to us, and it matters in a personal level. All of us want to know that what we do in life counts. The underneath everything that we have, our, our daily life, we want to know that our life was of consequence. So we ask questions, whether internally or even with our mouths, am I of any value? What's the point of my life? Will anybody remember me when I die? Do I matter to anyone? What have I really accomplished in my life? All of these, you see, are glory questions. 
They're significant questions. They're the weighty questions. How do I know what I do matters? Rightly understanding glory helps us not just collectively, but personally realize what we should live for. And what we find through this passage as well as through the rest of God's word is that our hearts will be restless until it is anchored, until it is anchored in the glorious one. So Jesus in this passage is going to talk about how he came to display the glory of God. And so what I want to do as we read this is to see that and understand that and then hopefully apply that to our hearts and our minds. So let's look in verse 27. It says this, Jesus speaking, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it, they said that it had thundered. And others said, um, no, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus gives some clarity. He says in verse 30, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who's the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah may be fulfilled. Lord, has, Lord who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and would be healed. Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory of him who spoke it. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for the fear of the Pharisees they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees he, him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not walk in darkness or remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but of the Father who sent me. 
has given me this commandment. What I say to you, what I speak, for I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Pray with me this morning. Lord, as we look at this weighty passage, as we look at this glorious passage, I ask that you would give us clarity. Lord, help us to be able to see what it is that you have done for us in this chapter and how important it is for our daily life. Lord, I ask that you would give us tender hearts to your truthful word and that we would believe and understand it today. Now let me invite you to pray also to God that he would open up your eyes and soften your heart to see and understand his truth today. Would you pray for that now? Lord, these words of the gospel of John were written that we may believe that you're the Christ and that in believing we would find life in your name. So help us through your spirit believe and live today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, I know that's a lot of text. That's a big passage. I want to break it down just to two points as we look at the glory of God. One is the glory of his love. The glory of his love. Now this passage starts, and it's really interesting, because Jesus is speaking, and he says, my soul is troubled. Now this, this is interesting to me, because I know what it's like to be troubled. You know what it's like to at least feel a little sense of trouble, right? We get stuck in, travel, in, in, in traffic when we're trying to get somewhere. There's just a little bit of trouble that, that wells up in our heart, right? We're late to a meeting, a little bit of trouble wells up in our heart. We look to sit down and pay the bills, trouble rises up, Right? We go to the doctors, trouble rises up in our heart. We, we know a sense of this feeling of trouble, but that's us, right? We're fragile people. But this is the glorious God of love, the God Almighty, the one who spoke everything into existence, and here he is speaking again, and he says, my soul is troubled. What in the world troubles the soul of the Almighty God? Now, Thankfully, this passage is going to tell us we don't have to guess. But Jesus in this moment knows his hour has come. His hour has come. He knows what is ahead. And this word for hour has come is speaking to the hour of his death where he would go to the cross and take on our curse in our place. And so in here he uses the words, should I, should I pray save me from this hour? I'm troubled, I'm burdened, there's a, there's a worrisome nature of my heart right now. Should I just say, Father, take me away from this hour? And he says, no, I'm not going to pray that because there's something more glorious that I'm giving my life to. And he says, it's for this purpose I have come to this hour. And just if there's any confusion about what he means by this hour, John tells us in verse 33, He's talking about being lifted up because this is the kind of death he was going to die. Jesus knows I am going to suffer. I am going to have pain in order to be the propitiation for our sins. To save us from our sins. To rescue and redeem us. He knows this. And so he doesn't say, God, get me out of this moment. But rather, would you be glorified in this moment. 
And what's beautiful about this is as Jesus talks about glory, he realizes in this moment that the most glorious moment that we could ever see, that we could ever experience, that we could ever know about God is found at the cross. God the Father speaks aloud, and it's funny to me that people are like, was that thunder? That thunder sounded like it was saying something. And the crowd's like, no, 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 it was an angel speaking from heaven. But that voice says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. There's a glory that is continuing to come, and it is going to be seen in its full light at the cross as Jesus dies for our sin in our place. And this is the radiance of the glory of God. This is where we see God's great, great glory. Some of us may think, well, doesn't the Bible say in the book of Psalms that like all creation shows us the glory of God? Yes, we can go to the Grand Canyon and we can see a glimpse of God's glory. This week, I go outside to, to run early in the morning and I look up and I see the stars and I literally said out loud like, wow. I mean, that's amazing. And we see through creation the, the glorious nature of God. But that's, honestly, as we look at creation, that's a, a distance. That's just a, a, a glimpse. When we look at the cross, we see the full radiance of his glory. It'd be like, as I ran that morning, after looking at the stars up in the sky and saying, man, wow, that's amazing. And then I go for a run and I see the sun rise up. And I see the, the sunrise is all this beauty and all this splendor. That's what the cross is. God's creation, yes, it's glorious, it's beautiful, but it's at a distance. But when we see the sun lifted high on the cross, what we're seeing is God in his perfect glory and splendor. And the reason why is because the cross highlights the character of our God. We see the justice of God at the cross. We see his might and his mercy at the cross. We see his sacrifice and his salvation at the cross. We see his death and the defeat of our sin at the cross. We see all of this at the cross. You don't see those nuances in creation. There's something more glorious and beautiful about the cross. And so God the Father says, yes, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. I'll glorify it again. This is the beauty of our God. Being glorious and great would give his life because of his steadfast love for us. Because of his great love. This is the glory of God that we should, as we read in this moment, we read about the glory of God. This should give us weight. This is why we look to him and say, because you have loved me so much, I'll live to love you. I'll live to love you. That's what John tells us later on and in one of his smaller letters of 1 John chapter 4. He says, and this is love. Not that we have loved God. That's not where love is found, that we love God. But that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. This is God's glorious love on display. Not that we love him, but that he has loved us. And he has loved us by sending his son to be the propitiation for for our sins. What does propitiation mean? It means it's the payment for our sin that satisfies. It satisfies the law and it glorifies God. It keeps the justice of God and the love of God hand in hand. And this is the beauty of his amazing glory. And this is the one of the things I'm grateful for. This is the one of the things that I, that I look at and I'm like, okay, this is 
why it matters so much to our life. This is why we look at the glory of God and say, I will give my life for that. I will pour out everything I have for that. Because God, in his might and power and in his justice, comes to us and directs his love towards us. You realize he didn't have to do that. But we see God's glory and his glory is for our good. He puts his glory on full display as he dies on the cross. And yes, it glorifies his name, but it is for our good because through it we find salvation. You can think about this as like a campfire. You, you go to a campfire and as the, the campfire gets bigger, it continues to grow, what you find is that the brightness and the warmth of the campfire is not for the goodness of the campfire. It's for the goodness of the people around it. And the same is true for us. The glory of God is good for us. It, it, it grows as we see it at the cross. It grows in the resurrection. We look at it and we're like, that's amazing. That's beautiful. But Jesus even says in the statement, that voice, as it spoke, it wasn't ultimately for my good. It was for yours. And so in this moment, we think about this. We're like, a fire is great. A campfire is great. But it's ultimately, as it grows, that brightness and that warmth is not for its goodness, but ours. And so it is with the glory of God as it grows in our hearts and in our lives and as we pour out our lives for it. Yeah, that campfire grows, but it is for our benefit, not for his. And so the question is, how do we live our lives in such a way that we glorify God? That we continue just to lift up the one who is all glorious. Well, I think Jesus in this passage shows us a, a, a really unique way in which we glorify God. And if you look at his life, this is what we're called to do, reflect him. And did you see how Jesus chooses to glorify God the Father in this moment? It's through his obedience and suffering. Did you see that? He says in verse 27, my soul is troubled He's going through suffering and pain in this moment, but he doesn't say, pull me out of this hour. No, he says, I want to glorify you during this hour. Don't pull me away from it. Lean into it. He submits to the Father's will, even in the midst of suffering, to glorify the Father. Sadly, some of the most selfish people that we will ever find in the world are those who are going through troubled times. I was listening to a pastor this week who was, was telling me that there was a person in the church that was walking very closely with God for years, and they went through suffering and pain, and they were running and rebelling from God, and so he was talking to them, and they said, yeah, I'm going to continue to run, I'm going to continue to rebel because God owes me. Why? Because of the suffering and pain in my life. He owes me, and so I'm going to do what I want to do. Suffering can lead us to the sin of selfishness. To think that God owes me something in this moment. But I think some of the greatest glory that we could ever give to God is by reflecting Jesus in the midst of our troubled times. We live in a culture and a world that says, you just do you. You just do you, right? Just be true to you. That is not the, the mantra of a believer. A Christian is not to reflect himself, but to reflect King Jesus. 
So in this moment, we look to Jesus and we're like, he's in suffering, he's in pain, and in the midst of that moment, he obeys God. He doesn't say, God, you owe me. Get me out of this moment. He says, no, it's for this purpose that I'm here. And so may we glorify God by being selfless and sacrificing for others just as Christ has sacrificed for us. This is the glory of the love of God. This is why we sacrifice for others. Not because culturally it seems right or good, but because we look to Christ and we want to reflect our King and our God. And the second aspect of his glory that we find in this passage is the glory of his light. The glory of his light. Now, Jesus, multiple times through the Gospel of John, has used this image of life to, light to describe himself. You can go back, you can read John chapter 1. John chapter 3, John chapter 8, John chapter 9. Here we are again in John chapter 12. He keeps mentioning it over and over again. And I don't have time to unpack all of this imagery that Jesus uses this morning because there's a lot more to this passage that we're going to get to. So I'd encourage you, if you want to dive deeper into that, then, then go back and listen to the sermon on John chapter 8 as Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You can check that out on our website or on the podcast. But right here, what I want to talk about, I want to focus on in this passage, is the glorious invitation that comes through the light of Christ. The glorious invitation. You see, that's what Jesus does in verse 36. He's pleading with the people. He says, the light is here. You're in darkness. And so in verse 36, he says, while you have the light, believe in the light that you've become sons of light. Jesus is extending an invitation in this moment. He's like, the light's here. It's still here with you. It's here for a little while longer. And so come into the light. Don't walk in darkness anymore. Now, this is interesting because this is the end of Jesus' public ministry. This is the last time he's speaking to the multitudes, to the crowds. And he ends with this invitation. And think about this. After all of the teaching after all the confrontation that has been seen in Jesus' life, after all the miracles and after all the signs that he's done, after all the confusion about who he is, this is where it ends. It ends with a humble and gracious invitation. Right now you have the light. So you need to step into the light so you can become children of light. This is an amazing invitation that Jesus is giving us. Way to kind of bring it up to, to our life today. You could think about it like this. Imagine that we were kids again. And imagine we were, we were out and we saw this fence that went around this cave that we knew was there. And we're like, we want to go in and, and enjoy the cave. And so we, we go past the signs that say no trespassing, keep out. We climb over that. And we go into this cave and we get in there. We're exploring. We're having a fun time, even though we were told not to go in here. And then there was a a, 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 a fault that, that shifted and the rocks fell and we got trapped inside there and it's dark and we can't see. But we remember we, we have a flashlight and so we, we turn on our flashlight and we're trying to find our way out as we're trapped in there. So we're trying to find our way out. We see, well, there's the way we can get out, but it's a narrow way. It's an exclusive way. And so we're a little fearful. We don't want to move forward. And so we just sit there and we take comfort that we have the flashlight. Minutes go by and hours go by and we cry out and, 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 and still nobody comes. And so we realize that nobody's coming and 
we start to know after, notice after hours of time that our flashlight's starting to dim. And in that moment, we've got a decision. We can sit here in glory at this light that is dimming and fading. We can use this light to lead us to the path where we can be free. We can choose, right? That's what Jesus is saying in this moment. The light's here. I'm the light of the world. It's here for a little bit longer. Choose to come into the light. And some of you in this moment, you've maybe never trusted in Christ. And you look and you think, well, I still have questions. Well, we want to help you answer some of those questions absolutely as a church and as a pastoral team. But let me tell you something that's a real possibility. Your time here on this earth may be exhausted before all your questions are answered. And I say that today, not to shame you, but to encourage you as Christ did. While you have the light, believe in the light and become sons of the light. Now, what we see right after this invitation of Christ is something very, very sad. In verse 37, John tells us that even though Jesus has done so many signs, they still didn't believe in him. Even after Jesus is saying, I'm going to give my life for you to rescue you, he's going to give everything. He makes this plea, would you come to the light and be saved and become sons of light? And it, he's given all these signs, it says, and still they did not believe in him. Now, as the author John wrote this, I, I'm guessing he, he must have felt the need to explain the unbelief of the people. Because he kind of takes this like pause and zooms out and talks about belief for a second and then he's going to dive back into Jesus speaking. But just like John is when we're trying to understand why people aren't believing, I mean we feel that weight at times, right? We feel it just a little bit. I mean, if Jesus spent three to three and a half years of his life doing all of these miracles, so many miracles for people, and they're still not believing, why in the world is that happening? And we share the gospel with people, and some people choose to remain skeptical and not believe and not come into light. And so what John does is he points back to the prophet Isaiah, and he's going to quote two passages. We don't have time to unpack all of this, but... Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 6. Now, what's beautiful about these passages that I don't have time to completely unpack is, is this. Psalm 50, or Isaiah 53, if you go and read it, is all about the suffering servant. That the Messiah is going to come and he's going to, through his glorious love, give his life. And the question is asked as he quotes in Isaiah 53, to whom as the the arm of the Lord been revealed. And it's to everyone. The light of the world has come, right? It's been revealed. He sees the suffering servants in this moment. And then he also quotes Isaiah 6. And this is the glorious king, the glorious God. Where if you remember Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees God on his throne, which we find out is Jesus Christ. There and he's ruling and he's reigning. And Isaiah says, behold, I am undone. Woe is me, I am a sinner. 
right? Those are the two glimpses of the glory of God, the suffering servant and the ruling, reigning king. And he highlights these two passages in this moment. And let's just be honest. As we read these, I mean, it sounds harsh, doesn't it? God has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Just state the obvious. This sounds cruel in this moment. It sounds like a a parent who tells a child, spill your milk. And when the child spills their milk, you punish them for it, right? It sounds harsh in this moment. And this matters. This is important for us to grasp and understand because it concerns the character of God. Is God good or is he bad? Is he capricious or is he compassionate? Let me try to help us understand this for a moment This difficult passage that we find in the Gospel of John, written for you and I to believe. First of all, you got to remember, this moment, this week, is the week of Passover. Right? That's what's happening. This is the last week of the life of Christ. This is the week of Passover. If you remember what's going on in the Passover, people that week, they're reading the book of Exodus over and over again. And what happened to the book of Exodus? God's people were enslaved in Egypt The Pharaoh is ruling and reigning over them, and God rescues them and redeems them. Now, what's fascinating is if you go back and you read the book of Exodus, what they would have been reading that very week, what you find is that in the book of Exodus, 19 times it talks about the Pharaoh and his heart. And in those 19 times, it talks about how sometimes Pharaoh hardens his heart towards God, and other times God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And what's interesting about that is how God is doing that, what God's doing in this moment. You see, God in this moment is wanting to rescue and to redeem not just his people, but the people of Egypt. We talked about this when we walked through Exodus a couple years ago. God could have come in, given Moses one declaration to say, give them one plague, one miracle in order to free my people, but he doesn't. God comes with 10 different miracles in order to change the Pharaoh's heart, to turn the people's heart from their gods to worshiping the true God. And Moses comes in, he says, let God's people go. And Pharaoh's like, those aren't God's people, those are my people because I am God. I'm above all these things. And he hardens his heart to the appeal of God to turn and be rescued. And so over and over and over again, God brings 10 plagues. Once again, could have brought one, brought 10 And Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. And the way that God is hardening Pharaoh's heart is through his appeals. Would you turn? Would you see? Would you believe? Over and over and over again. And what we find through the book of Exodus, going all the way through the book of Numbers, is that there are Egyptians who do believe. They see God's working hand in that moment and how he is the God Almighty over all things. And they believe in the book of Numbers, as it counts the people of God, There's a group of Egyptians and a number that's given that came with God's people because they believed. So we read a passage like this and it seems hard. Does God harden hearts? Yeah, that's what the passage says. But how does he do it? By mercy and with grace and with patience. You see, we we look at God and we say, just like the Pharisees did at times, we don't want you to be our God. We don't want you to be our king. And Jesus comes and he makes his appeal again. I'm the light of the world. Would you believe in me? Would you look to me? Would you see and believe in this moment? And that's what he's doing. He's appealing to them. For some of us, 
We have hard hearts right now, and God is still calling to you. He's inviting you to come and believe. I mean, do you see how this passage, even though it has a harder text here that we're trying to understand, it's still met with the invitation of God who would, who would say, come and believe in me. It's bookend by it. Verse 36, it says, while you have the light, believe in the light. Then look at verses 44 and 45 and 46. Jesus cries out and he gives an invitation again. Jesus doesn't sit there and just say, well, if you want to believe, go ahead and believe. No, it says he cried out. He's begging. He is pleading. And he says, whoever believes in me. That's one of my favorite words of all the gospel. He doesn't just say it once. He doesn't say it twice. He says it three times. Verse 44, whoever believes in me. Verse 45, whoever believes in me. Verse 46, whoever believes in me. Jesus is looking at everyone saying, would you believe? Would you see? Would you respond to the invitation of the Holy Spirit in your heart? And some of us sit here and say, well, I've done a lot of bad things. And Jesus would say, whoever. Some of us would say, well, well I've wasted so many years of my life and I'm, I'm so, so much older now. Jesus would say, whoever. Well, I have secret sins that nobody else knows about. Jesus would say, whoever. Well, I come from a different religion. And you want me to change? Jesus would say whoever would believe in him would have life. Jesus invites anybody and everybody who would come to him to repent and to believe in him. That's what he does in this passage. Two points of application as we look at the glory of the light of God to show us our need for a Savior. One is that we need to believe and receive the light. Verse 48, it says, the one who rejects me. Even with this invitation, Jesus is going to say that there's people that reject him. You reject him. And he says, I'm not going to judge him right now because this is a time when the light is here. You find grace. But there will come a day where he says, my words that I've spoken today will judge him on the last day when Jesus comes again. And so he says, believe in me. And some of us may think, well, I'm not rejecting Jesus. I'm just indifferent to Jesus. That's just another form of rejection. I mean, if I, if I came to you and I said, hey, I'd love to get to know you better. I'd love to build a friendship with you. Like, let's grab lunch one day. Let's grab coffee. And you're like, I'm just not going to respond to that. You never respond to a text. You never respond to an email. You never follow through. That non-response is a rejection. You've rejected me, Right? You don't want a friendship. You don't want a relationship there. Same with Christ. And Jesus is pleading. He's crying out that we would believe in him. And the second thing for believers I would say today is this. Let's share this light. You see, verse 43 is an interesting, interesting verse. It says that some loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. What's fascinating is if you go back to verse 42, this is speaking of believers. Many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So they would not be put out of the synagogue. You see, many of us read this passage and read this difficult statement from Isaiah in here. And we think, what does this mean for people who aren't believers? 
But what John does is he says, no, 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 that's the wrong question to ask. The wrong question to ask. The right question is, what does this mean for us who have the gospel and know that others need it? You see, it's easy for us to sit knowing the light and believing the truth and yet not glorying in the gospel of God instead of glorying in man's glory. And so what we do is we look here and we care more about our social media followers and likes than we do the glory of God. We care more about the promotion at work than the salvation of souls. We care more about friendship at a country club than we do friendship with the creator of heaven and earth. May we as believers here at our church strive to care more about the glory of God than the glory of man. And when we do that, we will share this glorious truth of his love and his light with others. Bow your heads with me. Lord, thank you that you came into the world. You came into the world to be the light of the world. You extended to us multiple invitations, and you gave multiple signs. Even the end of the Gospel of John said that there were so many, so many miracles that weren't even written down. You did this that we would believe. And so I pray that you would open up our eyes, that you would soften our hearts, God, that we would respond to this truth today. That we would hear you crying with a loud voice to believe. God, because we need you. And Lord, as we believe, I pray that we would live in your peace. Just like at your birth when you came, Lord, it said, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. Lord, for those of us who look and see your glory, the glory of the cross where we see your love and your light together, that it would give us great peace in our heart and that that peace would lead us to share that truth with others that we would care more about the glory of God than the glory of man. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. Church family, let us respond to the gospel today. May we not fear the, the, the glory of man, but may we look to the glory of God. And that might mean taking a, a next step of faith to talk to one of our pastors after service and ask him the questions and seek what Christ would have for you, that you would see his glory and believe. For others of us, we need to respond by singing loud because we care about the glory of God coming from our lips than what somebody would think to our right or our left. Will we sing loud in praise? For others of us, we need to give. We need to give of our finances. We need to give of our time. We need to give of our thoughts and response to the gospel. Would we respond to this good news today, to the glory of God? Stand down, let's sing.